0: This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. And this year we're exploring the book of Acts and then the rest of the New Testament. And today we return back to the book of Acts. Last couple of weeks we've been looking at the book of Hebrews. And we did that because in Acts chapter 7, Stephen had made a speech before his death which he referenced a whole bunch of the Old Testament. So Hebrews seemed to be a natural place to talk about how the Old Testament connects to Jesus and the New Testament. Now, as we return back to this topic, we're going to look at Acts chapter 8 today and the church expanding in Samaria. But before we do that, let's go back and review the end of Acts chapter 7, which was the stoning of Stephen because it flows together with Acts chapter 8. So here's what it says in Acts 7, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, that was Stephen's speech about the Old Testament and how Jesus really is the true fulfillment of that. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is a claim that would have been that Jesus was divine. He was God, if you could stand there. Verse 57. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's a name to remember. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, that is, he died. So that was the the martyrdom of Stephen. The very next verse, the beginning of Acts chapter 8 says, and Saul, there's his name again, Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul, there he is, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. We're going to stop there for a moment. So, so Ben, we, we've got this story that we've interrupted by looking at the book of Hebrews, but the story, and it's the stoning of Stephen. And it, and it clearly says that when he was put to death, it kind of gave people liberty to start persecuting Christians. And it says a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and they were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You know, our theme verse for this entire year is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and which says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right here is where we see this beginning to take off in a big way. Into Judea, that's that the region around Jerusalem, and Samaria into the the land of, of, of people who are not accepted by the Jewish people, and then the ends of the earth is where it's going to take place. It, it takes this moment in time for that persecution and that scattering for the gospel to take off. I know we talked about this a few weeks back, but as you look at this moment in time for the gospel to begin to take root and, and to spread in the way that it is, what do you see going on here as it's moving now into Samaria which was not exactly a place that was super friendly to Jewish people and vice versa, right?
1: Yeah, the Samaritans and the Jews had a long history of uh, not liking uh, one another, which we see played out um, in the gospel account uh, in the language of, of Jesus when he meets with the, the Samaritan woman, um, when they go to, when he goes to, uh, when she goes to draw water, and we see that in John four. Um, But, yeah, there's a a history between uh, the Samaritans and the Jews, Samaritans being of part Jewish descent, part Gentile descent, the Jews looking upon them as uh, impure, as unclean. Um, And so there was just a lot of tension uh, between uh, the Samaritans
0: and the Jews. There's a lot going on there. And it's interesting, They, they didn't just go into that area to escape the persecution. They went in to preach. As it said in verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So even though these Jewish people, all of the disciples were Jews, and there were some that were beginning to get converted that were Gentiles that coming into the faith, but the vast majority at this point were Jewish Christians. Even though they went into this non-Jewish territory, they still preached the word. And the story picks up Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A couple things come to my mind. Like, what what do you think made Philip courageous enough to to speak that Jesus is the Messiah to an an audience that wasn't overly welcoming to Jews in the first place, much less Jewish Christians? And what made them receptive? I mean, these people they they weren't interested in what Jews had to say, typically anyway. And there was something that was that was happening here as the gospel was spreading to. The territories, uh, hostile territory, maybe, but at least one in which was kind of deafened to them. Yet their ears were open; they were paying attention, and they were, they were coming to Christ. What's going on as you see it in this scenario?
1: One of the things that we see uh, with Philip uh, here, is, and even as uh, God continues to to use him. Uh, throughout this chapter, as we see uh, Philip the evangelist going and sharing Christ with with others as well, but it, it goes back again to the uh, the opening chapter of Acts where Jesus tells them uh, to wait, to wait uh, upon the Spirit. It's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, moving in Philip that empowers him to boldly and courageously go and proclaim. Uh, the gospel—it's the spirit that's moving in that space to bring healing and wholeness to the folks that Philip is encountering, to soften hearts, to hear and to receive uh, the gospel message. And so, at the the root and the center of it all is, is the spirit's work uh, upon Philip's life and upon
0: the life of others. So Philip's really getting it done. And I want this next story—it's about Simon the sorcerer. It says. It's pretty long. I don't know if we'll go through all of it, uh, but I want to get some insights on it as well. And it begins in Acts chapter 8, verse 9, and it says, For some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. Oh, he was something else. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself, Simon the sorcerer himself, believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So this guy who had made a living by practicing sorcery, he and, and all his followers heard this message. You know, I, think, I, I look at this and I think the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the signs and wonders and, and all this that, that accompanied it as Philip was doing so must have been so magnificent. That even these people from this foreign world that didn't really accept Jews, they were watching what was taking place. They were hearing it with their own ears, seeing it with their own eyes, and they jumped in. They, they jumped in with both feet. They, they were ready to go, and and they got baptized. I mean, this this is not something that would have been a normal behavior for them to get baptized in the faith they they kind of like rocketed through the acceptance of the Jewish faith and, and went right into the Christian faith i mean they were they were ready to go and it, it appears at least at the beginning they were all in until something kind of weird happens along the way with with this simon this simon guy and can you give us you know what's the version like what's the weird piece that happens with this guy as he's now Leaving his life of sorcery and entering his life of being a follower of Jesus, and what what takes place in this story with this guy that that is something for us to take note of, I think today.
1: Simon is a you know he's an attention seeker. Um, he liked the praise of the the crowds that he once got um, from his sorcery, and so when uh, the the spirit is being made manifest on uh, the people who are receiving Christ as the apostles are laying hands uh, upon them, we see that Simon then wants uh, to be someone associated with that same power. And so in verse 18 in chapter 8, uh, Simon sa- it says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And so Simon who's come out of this life of sorcery, uh this life where um you know people were were coming to him for uh these acts for these displays of of power. Um Simon wants uh that attention back. Um in some ways he wants that uh display of power back so that he himself is uh, once again associated with that. So he goes to the apostles and is offering them, uh, offering them money.
0: Isn't this whole thing a trap for all of us? Yeah, that When absolutely. we have the access to the greatest news ever told, it's so far superior to anything else in the world. The, the miracles, the wonders of, of God. And it can be tempting, I think, for us to say, let me make it about me. And the, even if... I lead someone to Christ, or help someone, or pray for someone, and they receive healing. Let me make it about me. And that, don't you think it's a trap?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of tendency toward self gratification, um, toward uh, the the proclamation of of self. Um, we see it uh, in, in in the pulpit. There's the temptation of uh, seeking to draw attention uh, to oneself rather than proclaim Christ, and and so the the thing that we i think have to constantly be self-aware and sensitive to is am, am i doing this to make much of Jesus Christ or am i doing this to make much of myself hmm. um, because it, it it's easy i mean when we get up to to proclaim the word we could literally get up there and tell a bunch of you know self-gratifying stories uh you know, make it the the Ben Greenbaum Story Hour or comedy special rather than proclaiming Jesus Christ. And so, there's always that temptation that we all uh, wrestle with. I mean, even from the standpoint of our our good deeds, our, our good acts for the sake of Christ, um, making sure that we don't utilize those as a means to draw attention uh, to ourselves. And so, constantly asking ourselves the question: Are we doing this for God's glory? are we doing this to, for the for the sake of the gospel
0: or are we doing this for ourselves it's it is a temptation in life that we all have to be aware of no matter no matter what we're doing with this greatest news in the history of of the world the kingdom of god and all that comes with it to make sure that we remain humble as we lift up Christ rather than lifting up ourselves. Well the story shifts a little bit. I mean so Peter and John had come for that that peace and they, they so they were there in Samaria and it says they returned preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So you can see like all these people Peter and John and Philip and others are are now taking the gospel outside of Jerusalem, even outside of Judea and into non-Jewish territory and things are beginning to to change in terms of what Christianity is going to be, not simply a a movement for people who are Jews first, but for people who maybe are outside of that to some degree with the Samaritans and to a massive degree with others. And that would include Ethiopia, which is the next story beginning in Acts 8.26. I was in Ethiopia several years ago. I had the opportunity to meet with the 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 man who's kind of like the pope of Ethiopia, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, and he was, he was, um, he's the man that that leads it. And in waiting to do so, we were in this historical room with a bunch of oil paintings, and I remember this one in particular, this story in particular, because the guy who was describing it to me was pointing to this story and saying, "This is the person who brought Christianity to Ethiopia." These, that was his rendition at that time. So. I don't know if everybody believes it or not, but this this man who was kind of a a person that was helping us, our little team of Americans, get to meet with this person, he, he was saying, this is it. This is the story. And you go back in time to when they, they believe the Queen of Sheba came, this guy that said that, came to Solomon a thousand years earlier, that she brought the Jewish faith back, but this is the one who brought the Christian faith into Ethiopia, and today it's it's still largely a Christian nation. There's Muslim and there's other kind of influences there, but the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is is dominant in many ways in the nation, even to this day. So here's the story: Ethiopia's down in Africa, and of course they're they're up here in what is modern day Israel for this this story over near well Gaza. And that's a familiar phrase to any listener that has it today. So it says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Kandaki. Now, I thought it was Candace in my old translations growing up, but uh, I don't know even how to pronounce Kandaki or Kandake. They said the word means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So God is leading Philip at this time. An angel had appeared to him. The Spirit is speaking to him. He's moving. And before I get into the story, I just want to comment on that a little bit, how important it is to be led by God. To be led by the voice of God, the presence of God, and Philip was, in, was tuned in to when an angel appeared to him, he paid attention. When the Spirit of God spoke to him, he paid attention and I don't Ben I don't think this is true just for people like Philip. I think that, that God still wants to speak to us today, He wants to communicate with us today. He's given us his holy Spirit and his holy Spirit. Dwells in us to speak to us. I I believe that script when Scripture, when we read it, it comes alive, and we can pay attention to what it to what God is saying to us in that. So I think there's a lesson. I think for at least for me in this, to learn how to listen to the voice of God before you act. So there's here's Philip. He wasn't even planning to go toward Gaza, and he did. And then he wasn't necessarily planning to talk to this Ethiopian guy, but the Spirit said. Go to that chariot and just hang out there and see what happens. And there's something, I think, really profound in in Philip's obedience to what God wants him to do. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit With him, and they some explanation goes on, and some things take place, and the guy gets baptized. So, as you as you read through this story, and I know you've done it many times, what stands out to you about this encounter that Philip has with this man from Ethiopia, and what takes place in his life? I think the question that it prompts uh, in us
1: is: Are we grieving the spirit, or are we being sensitive to the spirit moving and working? Uh, In our lives, as we're abiding in Christ, as we're being refined into the likeness of Christ by the Holy Spirit, are we being sensitive to the Spirit leading us to bear witness Mm -hmm. to Jesus Christ? And I think that, as I've probably said before, we have a tendency, uh, sadly, within the Western church to operate more like secular humanists uh, than we do Christian. And so we oftentimes minimize the power of the Holy Spirit moving and working uh within us um to to lead us to guide us to set us free to grant us the words to bear witness to christ uh to others and i've seen it in my own life things that um to to watch and to see the spirit move in miraculous ways i have i've I've seen it early on in my in my Christian walk this guy Jeff Koch really exposed me to the power of the spirit moving and working uh, as we were in Chicago together and had opportunity to go out and to share the gospel and and Jeff uh you know spoke into my life about being an ambassador for Christ opening up 2 Corinthians 5 to me and 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 speaking into me about this is our call this universal call that God has given us to go and bear witness to Christ to be his ambassadors to call people to be reconciled to God through Christ and we would go out praying. I remember one time we're praying and we're walking along the the shores of Lake Michigan. And Jeff's like, the spirit's telling me that we need to go talk to this guy. And so we just head over to this dude sitting on the rocks on the banks of Lake Michigan. And we start talking to him, come to find out the guy is in a cult, um, comes to receive Christ as we're sharing the gospel with him. And then as we're getting ready to leave, uh, he's like, hold up. I feel like I need to tell y'all something. I just want you to know you've been an ambassador, uh, for Christ hmm. to me today. And I just about, you know, my jaw hit the, the ground as I listened to this guy speak and how the spirit again moved in that space. And then there's been so many other times in life. Uh, and some of those times have been just dramatic that are beyond explanation. When I was in, uh, Medellin, Colombia in 2013, uh, to and and there to to go actually door to door with local congregations to share the gospel with folks. I saw the spirit move in ways that were foreign to me, and it's in 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 one of those ways. And this is is I, I mean I know people will hear this and inevitably question it, but it's as true as all true can be and it was right at the beginning, and there was a multitude of ways that, that God manifested himself, and the Spirit moved in that, that week plus that I spent in Medellin, but when I first got to Medellin, they had they had gotten translators to work with us um, so that we could go door to door and communicate. Everybody speaks Spanish so we could communicate with folks, and I know a little bit of Spanish, but not, not a ton, and a lot of what I knew had kind of dissipated uh, over the years, and so uh, they, they, uh, got me connected with this young lady, Ruth, Ruth just loved herself some Jesus, but Ruth, Colombian native, um, knew you knew very little English. And so they said, Ben, this is who your translator is going uh, to be. And so I was supposed to go sit with Ruth and share with her my story and kind of how I would lead into the gospel and share with her what I'd be saying she, so she could become familiar with with it so that we could go out me and Ruth to go share the gospel with folks and so we meet together and within about 5 seconds I realized there is no way that Ruth is going to be able to communicate what I'm trying to say like did not understand the words coming out of my mouth and and at that time my my Spanish was so broken I just could not grasp what she was trying to communicate to me so that we could kind of get on the same page and I went that night legit. I spent about eight hours, I think, in prayer that night and I'm like, Lord, this is going to be a dumpster fire. If Ruth and I go out tomorrow and go door to door, this is just not gonna work. And so the next morning the folks that I was I was with, I went to the guy that was kind of heading it up and I was like, look, I was like, you've gotta find me a different translator. That this isn't this isn't gonna work. Ruth does not understand what I'm trying to communicate. I'm having a hard time grasping what she's trying to communicate and kind of her broken English. And he's like, well, I'm sorry, Ruth's your translator. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a fun week. So Ruth comes up to me and she's kind of smiling. It's kind of awkward at first. And she looks at me and I just said, I prayed all night. And she said, me too. And we went out that day. This is God's honest truth. And the Spirit moved in such a way that Ruth understood every word coming out of my mouth. I understood every word pretty much coming out of her mouth. And collectively, we were able to communicate to the people that we encountered throughout Columbia throughout that week to such a degree that one time we had this conversation with someone um, who most won't understand this, but was a Oneness Pentecostal. We had this deep deep theological con- uh, conversation surrounding the Trinitarian nature of God with somebody. And God had set us free to communicate um, miraculously. And uh, and so I look at the, the Spirit. I look at how often we grieve the Spirit. We don't experience the power of the Spirit living within us. And I look at Philip, and Philip calls us to question, are we yielding ourselves to the work uh, of the Spirit?
0: That's a, that's a great story I mean, your your story of Ruth and medellin and Jeff I think you said in Chicago uh, remind me of, of this I mean in this story all together with now Philip and a man from Ethiopia I mean, they're all ba- about breaking cultural barriers yeah and and things that we think in our own power we don't have the ability to do but God can do it and he can he can provide a way and, and in a similar kind of way in in this biblical narrative god provides a, a way for philip to be able to communicate with this man from a a whole different nation in a way that led the man to want to be baptized and he was and and it says he went on his way rejoicing so it's it's this reminder that even when we're we're up against it and we feel like we have nothing to say or the people around us aren't going to be able to hear what we have to say or or whatever, all the all the barriers that that are constructed sometimes by us or sometimes by the world god can overcome every single one of those and he he does it in our lives and that's a your stories are a tremendous reminder of that that we're never we're never alone oh. we're never alone in life so the the verse the final verse of this chapter chapter 8 After the Ethiopian goes on his own way, this Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. As you can tell by the name of Caesarea, it's spelled like Caesar, it was a very Gentile city. If Jerusalem was a very Jewish city, Caesarea was a completely Gentile city there in Palestine which is modern day Israel it was there but it was built by the by the romans and it was it was very 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 gentile and so now we see the gospel just rapidly moving out of Jerusalem Judea Samaria and now into the ends of the earth and next time we'll be looking at what's almost unbelievable because at the beginning of this one we talked about this man named Saul pay attention to him and Saul gets converted. He goes from going from house to house and throwing people in prison and, to, and, and really just wanting to put Christians to death to being behind Jesus, the, the leading person of the New Testament. So we'll take a look at that in Acts chapter 9 next time. If you want to stay up to date with the Be Beyond Mission podcast, we do encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to jump in deeper to everything we're doing with this Beyond Mission theme this year as a church, you can go to our church's website, FishersUMC.org, or find our app, and you can learn more about that. Thanks for listening today, and may God bless.